Welcome to Lessons for Living. I'm Bill Santos. Thank you so much for watching. In 1960, in what was considered a sidebar to the presidential campaign, Massachusetts Senator John F. Kennedy and Vice President Richard Nixon met for a series of four televised debates. When the last of the debates ended, one thing was for certain. The United States method of choosing a national leader had changed forever. You see, for many who watched the debates on television, particularly the first debate in Chicago, the lingering image was that of a sickly-looking, perspiring Nixon juxtaposed with the handsome Kennedy. Having just recovered from a brief illness and forever battling his five o'clock shadow, Richard Nixon appeared gaunt and slightly haggard. In contrast, the younger Kennedy proved more, well, telegenic, and immediately giving him the edge with the some 70 million people who watched it on TV. Larry Bird, curator for political history at the Smithsonian, said that Nixon turned down makeup, well, because Kennedy declined to use makeup. To most debate watchers, Senator Kennedy, well, simply looked more presidential. On election night, Kennedy received 49.7% of the popular vote to Nixon's 49.5%, with the Democratic ticket polling only about 100,000 more votes than the Republicans out of the 68 million votes that were cast. Despite Nixon winning more states than Kennedy, the Electoral College vote went to the Democrats by a 303 to 219 margin. When he resurrected his own political career leading to his election to the White House in 1968, Nixon would often travel to Florida or to California to ensure that he was tanned for his television appearances. In the book of 1 Samuel, we read the story of God's people one day coming to Samuel, who was a prophet, saying this, appoint for us a king to govern us like other nations. It wasn't easy for them to ask for a king. It was not a request they made lightly. You see, they were proud that they were not like other nations. They were proud that they weren't like anyone else at all. They were proud that they were special, chosen, God's own people. And their specialness involved a large measure of trust. It involved being able to trust in God to protect them, trust in God to fight their enemies, trust in God to bring peace. Yet, when they came to Samuel, they could no longer trust. Something within this people had changed. Something had eroded away their ability to trust. Philistine armies were poised on their borders. Philistine armies threatening to devour them had eroded the ability of these Israelites to trust that God would act in their defense. No one denied that the threat was real. The Philistines were a warlike people. 
They were ready to destroy Israel if given even half a chance. In their fear and anxiety, the people of Israel could not agree on a strategy to meet the threat. Their fear was finally greater than their trust, and they asked Samuel for a king. Like all their neighbors, a king. What is a king? Well, in essence, a king is a barrier between us and chaos. A king is a strong wall protecting us from whatever we fear the most. Devouring Philistines, deteriorating marriage, plummeting economy, ravages of cancer, drug lords, crack houses. Whatever threatens to destroy us, well, is chaos. A king, well, a king promises to bring order to the chaos of our lives. Whatever we fear in this world, there is a king somewhere to tell us why we don't need to be afraid. You're afraid of a deteriorating economy? Well, the world is full of kings telling us that if we only vote for them, they have a surefire plan to get things rolling again. Your marriage is on the rocks? Every bookstore has shelves and shelves of easy solutions to troubled relationships. Personal finances in trouble? Well, there's a get-rich scheme that can't fail to help you become an instant millionaire. Afraid of the Philistines? Well, let's get ourselves a king. A king like all the nations. To put a wall of spears and shields and chariots between us and our enemies. But there was going to be a price. There's always a price. But in spite of the price, the enormous price, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations, that our king may go out before us and fight our battles. We earn for a king to bring order to our lives, to fight our battles, to fight everything that threatens us, no matter what the price. We cannot be satisfied with a God who says, trust me, but gives no guarantees. Well, the prophet was not happy. All of his work ministering to the people seemed to have been in vain. They wanted someone to do for them what God was prepared to do. All he could offer them was the immense risk and the great cost of not trusting God. For the people, what Samuel had to offer was not enough. It was not enough for them to hear, trust God, while hearing the cries of the Philistines ringing in their ears. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 7 through 9. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, 
you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. As far as the people in ancient Israel were concerned, the question was no longer, shall we have a king? But rather, who shall be our king? And their choice for king, well, was quite a specimen. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel. He had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. 1 Samuel gives us a portrait of the first king of Israel. He's not a knight in shining armor, a fellow always on top of everything. He's a very human person, a mix of victories, defeats, joy and sorrow. Saul is very much like us in our humanness. He, he lives, he hurts, he breathes, he, he makes mistakes, suffers from his liabilities. He cries, he laughs, he gets angry. Saul looked good in the eyes of the Israelites. I mean, he had all of the physical attributes you would want in a king. And in fact, his reign did get off to a good start. But his heart was the problem. It got so bad that God was forced to look for someone to replace him. But this time, the selection criteria would be different. God would look at the heart. And Samuel now has to break the news to King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 13, beginning at verse 13. Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. A man after his own heart. God's method of selecting the leader would be in stark contrast to man's methods. This time, God looked for someone whose heart was completely committed to him. So God comes to the prophet Samuel and he instructs him to go to Bethlehem because there in Bethlehem he's going to anoint the new king. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have selected a king for myself amongst his sons. Well, Samuel did exactly what the Lord asked him, and he came to Bethlehem. There in Bethlehem, he invites Jesse and his sons to sacrifice together with him. And as they spend this time together, together, 
Well, Samuel is conducting his uh, prophetic inspection of Jesse's son. Well, the first one to catch the eye of the prophet was Eliab. He was the oldest of the sons. He was the one that was most like King Saul in stature, in appearance. But God says to Samuel, verse 6, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, God was looking for a man with character, a man whose heart was turned towards God. God was not interested in the size of the man, but in the condition of his heart. So as each of Jesse's sons is paraded before Samuel, it becomes clear to the prophet that God has not chosen any one of these boys. Confused, puzzled, Samuel turns to Jesse and asks him in verse 11, are these all the children? You see, Jesse's reply demonstrates his surprise and bewilderment. Verse 11, the second half. There remains yet the youngest. Behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. You see, David had simply been overlooked. He was left to tend the sheep. Besides, it would be much too dangerous to leave the sheep there unattended. His father had looked at him and had not seen in David kingly potential. But Samuel the prophet insists. He insists that David be called in from the field. David makes his way from the field to the house. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. From the moment David walks in, Samuel knew this is the one. He was handsome. He was a young man. He had red hair. He had beautiful eyes. But more important than any external beauty was that he had a heart that longed to know God. Now, I don't want to be misunderstood here. So... I'm not saying that Saul was all bad and David was all good. They, they were both human beings. They had weaknesses. and Both of them had the same potential. But as we see, as we'll go forward, Saul more and more followed his egocentric desires, while David, at least in his early life, sincerely followed God's ways. In his later years, even when he failed God miserably, he always turned back to God. We have some great lessons to learn from God. 
One of them is that rather than accepting or rejecting people based on their status or lack of it, or how much money or little money they have, or how clever they are, or how, how innocent they are, or how beautiful they are, or if they lack beauty, we should look not at those things, but look at their heart, their character. Not only the values that they claim to uphold, but the values that they actually live by. You know, if we would take time in making decisions, whether that be on a spouse or a business associate or even our political leaders, follow the example of Samuel looking to God for his choice for our lives, I think we would be much better served. You see, God's choice may not be the obvious one. In fact, at first glance, God's choice may not make much sense at all. But God can and God will use anyone who submits their heart and their life to him. The high honor that had been given to David did nothing to boost his ego. He quietly went back to his job of tending sheep and waited for God to call him in from the field to occupy the throne. As humble and as modest as before his anointing, David went back and watched and cared for his sheep just as tenderly as before. And as David spent his days out in the solitude of the fields, contemplating God and his marvelous works, David's heart and David's mind were developing and were being strengthened for the role he was going to be called to perform. Each day, David was coming into a more intimate communion with God. His mind was constantly penetrating into fresh themes. These would inspire his songwriting. His closeness with nature, his communion with God, in the care of his sheep, in the perils and the deliverances, the sadness and the joys, these all served not only to mold the character of David and to influence his future life, but through the Psalms that he authored, they would inspire love and faith in the heart of God's people throughout the ages, bringing all of us nearer to the ever-loving heart of God. David, in the beauty and vigor of his youth, was preparing to take on one of the highest positions on earth. The idea that the kingship of Israel would go to an underage shepherd boy made no sense whatsoever in the world's mind. But in God's mind, it made perfect sense. God not being impressed by physique or intellect but by a heart completely committed to him, saw in David the perfect choice. While David also possessed many external positive characteristics. W. Michael Blumenthal, chairman of Unices, was quoted a while back in Forbes magazine about the mistakes he had made in hiring. 
He said, in choosing people for top positions, you have to try to make sure they have a clear sense of what is right and wrong, a willingness to be truthful, the courage to say what they think and to do what they think is right. This is the quality that should really be at the top. I was too often impressed by the intelligence and substantive knowledge of an individual and did not always pay enough attention to the question of how honest, courageous, and a good person the individual really was. When God looks at you, when he looks at me, does he see a heart committed to him and his ways? Do you live your life in response to the desires of your heart or is your heart completely committed to God? Second Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 we read, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. Again, when God looks at you, when he looks at me, does he see a person totally devoted to him? a person to committed to walking away from anything that is displeasing to God? When God looks at you, when he looks at me, does he find a heart that is completely his? Famous preacher Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Remember, dear friend, that it matters not what your occupation may be, you may yet have the privilege of the kingdom. David was but a shepherd, and yet he was raised to the throne. And so shall every believer be. You may be obscure and unknown in your father's house, the very least, and yet you may share a filial part in the divine heart. You may be among those who never would be mentioned except as mere units of the general census, without part, without position. You may almost think yourself to have less than one talent. You may conceive yourself to be a worm and no man. And like David, you may say, I was a beast before thee. Yet think of this, that the marvelous election of God can stoop from the highest throne of glory to lift the beggar from the dunghill and set him among princes. Giving us time to develop and grow is all part of God's plan. Remember, no matter how far you think you still have to grow, no matter how unprepared you may feel right now, you have been chosen by God and he has a plan for your life. You see, the Lord uses all kinds of unqualified people doesn't he? And if he can do that, then why can't he use you and me? Story told that a concert violinist wanted to demonstrate a very important point. He rented a great hall in a city and announced that he would play a concert on a $20,000 violin. He had the place packed with violin lovers and he played exquisitely. And they applauded just gloriously. He bowed, took their applause, and then he threw the violin to the ground and stomped it into pieces. 
The audience was horrified. Then he walked off the stage. The stage manager came out and said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, to put you at ease, that was not a $20,000 violin. He will now return to play the $20,000 violin. And you know what? No one in the audience could tell the difference. And he made his point. It isn't the instrument, it's the artist. David was the only person in Scripture who is called a man after God's own heart. His name is mentioned more than 1,000 times in the Bible. Jesus, even Jesus is referred in the Gospels as the son of David. What does the Bible say about him? What can we learn from David that will help us lead more devoted lives for our master? I want to invite you to join us over the next few programs as we study the life of David and draw from his experience practical lessons for living that will help us, you and I, become men and women after God's own heart. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the lessons of Scripture. Thank you for men like David, whose lives have such practical applications for us today. May your spirit oppress on our lives the lesson of committing our hearts completely to you. May we be guarded against deceitful influences, arrogance, and pride. Take control of our hearts and bless each and every viewer. In Jesus' name, amen. You can visit our website, l4ltv.com, if you enjoyed today's program, and there you can download the program, the video, or you can download a transcript of today's message. If you don't have access to that and you'd like us to send you a copy, then call our 1-800 number and one of our volunteers will be happy to get that out in the mail to you right away. Here's the information you need. To receive today's free offer, you can log on to the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. That's the Lessons for Living television website, www.l4ltv.com. There you will find the links to download a video and transcript of this program. You can also write us at Post Office Box 27030, Simcoe Conlon Post Office, Oshawa, Ontario, L1G, 0A3, and we would be happy to send the offer out to you. If you wish, you can order this offer by calling our 1-800 number and speaking with one of our volunteers at 1-800-972-0337. 1-800-972-0337. Well, we've come to the end of another program. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember the website, l4ltv.com. On the website, you can find a Bible study group close to your home. If there isn't one close to you, 
you contact us and we will study with you online. That is our promise to you. Remember the Facebook page? You want to follow me on Twitter at Santos underscore Bill. I will be back again next time, God willing. I hope you will be with us. Till then, God bless you. See you next time.